0: All right, so um, so this is week four of our series on uh, workers' spiritual practice. And uh, in the last three weeks, we've had um, people t- well, we've had one of us talking about uh, one of the three strands of Reginald Ray's model. Uh, I talked about the retreatant in the first week, and then Damal talked about the uh, sangha builder in the second week. And Chan and I last week talked about himself uh, his life as the uh, socially engaged Buddhist social activist or lay practitioner as he worked in the world uh, in a, in health service and education for quite a long time uh, so the next three weeks we've got we're going to run through the same um, sequence so we we're we're on back on the uh, the retreatant again. Uh, and tonight we've got um, two speakers. Uh, we've got myself and Barbara, and um, we're going to talk about our, I suppose, our personal experience of 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 that. You know, I don't know what Barbara's going to talk about, but uh, something like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, just kind of fill it, fill, you know, fill in the picture a bit. Uh, I'm going to talk about. Um, the, uh, I suppose my path really uh, the things I've been involved in, in the, over the last 40 years or whatever it is ok so uh, over to Barbara
1: well I guess I'd just really like to start by saying um, how interested I've been in the talks so far uh, the model of the sangha Builder and the socially, socially engaged Buddhist and the forest dweller brings the Buddhist world into our own I think um, and I suppose it's given us all a chance to think about where we might be amongst those three, three paths that we could take. Um, but I also recognise that thinking in terms of the model um, and our individual lives, we don't have to be fixed into one role. Um, we may be, or we could be engaged in all three aspects and move from one to another, But for myself, at the present time, I feel I'm on a journey towards the forest, where I would sincerely like to dwell for a while. I would like, as Bodhi said um, in his um, first talk, to remind myself of the depths of things. I feel my way is probably grounded quite firmly in the Eightfold Path, but the top coat of the path feels gentle, moss-covered, and winding. And it's taken a while to get there. Um, conditions are falling away, and some are arising much more slowly um, to let it happen. But I'm learning about the journey, and I'm learning from the journey. Um, and I find in that quite stimulating, as I think most journeys are. I had a bit of a problem deciding where to start on the journey um, to the forest and and where it began and how I was going to start to tell you about it. But Kevin here (laughs) reminded me last week that when we journeyed through India together on a pilgrimage, I'd taught several times about stillness, simplicity and contentment. So I'll start there. So there's a start, there's a middle bit, but I don't know where the end might be. (laughs) Um, When I first heard those words with stillness, contentment and simplicity, I purify my body. They certainly resonated with me. um, And while recognising that they're not necessary conditions, I also wanted to add silence and solitude. Stillness, simplicity and contentment are, I believe, the qualities of the positive precept opposed to the precept of avoiding sexual misconduct, which I think is used as an exemplar uh, for the chaos, harm and unskillfulness arising out of passions. Reflecting back on my life, I realised that my very first experience, when I truly and deeply knew What stillness, simplicity, contentment, silence and solitude really meant was literally born out of sex and passion. My children. (laughs) Um, The experience of feeding my babies in solitude in the middle of the silent night. The simplicity of breastfeeding and provision of nourishing food with a baby who for once was still, as so indeed was I and both equally content, literally for one, and psychologically and spiritually for me, were blissful and life-enhancing experiences. However, (laughs) those moments were short-lived, and we returned soon and soon consumed with the noisy and always demanding uh, life, bringing up two children, running a home, a big garden, being socially engaged in the community, and then going back first to part-time and then full-time work. Of course, it wasn't always a grind in the 70s and my early 20s. Um, I partied a lot and I had my fair share of alcohol and I guess I created a lot of noise as well. (laughs) I also went back to education at that time, getting my first degree, And you simply didn't want to be in my house at Christmas when I was trying to organise Christmas and then had two 2,500-word essays to write at the same time on a computer that I'd never used before until I went to uh, uni. So that was my very, very full early life with my children. Um, But then 15 years ago, there was a huge change in my life. Um, which meant I could actually experience solitude um, and simplicity again. My husband and I um, parted and we later divorced, and my children grew up and had grown up, in fact, and moved away from home. So I had a big um, downsizing to do at that time. Um, My life was simplified, I moved to a small cottage with a lovely small garden, I had enough furniture for my needs and a few ornaments, and very unusually for me, very few clothes because I threw them all out for some inexplicable reason. But most importantly, at that time for me, I never replaced the television and I very rarely watched television since. So I could be silent and still in my own home. And while I acknowledged the sadness of my past life and the loss of that past life, sorry, not the loss, not my past life, but the the sadness of of that loss, um, I did experience a growing contentment. I had a small garden, which meant that it was no longer a burden, another thing for me to sort out. And rather than being a heavy chore, it became a, um, a haven that reconnected me to the nature of things and with its, the nature of silent energy as well. Um, my work life certainly remained chaotic outside that little uh, home. But I was content with my achievements in 2006, um, I achieved my master's degree in healthcare ethics, and my thesis, coincidentally, Chandana, I think was um, what you were saying the other day about the viciousness of organisations. My thesis was actually on the nurse's ethical role within an organisation, which at that time didn't seem to be called to ethical account, which I think was very much what you were saying last um, week um at that time as well in fact the um the month after my husband and I split up i was responsible for developing um only the second nurse led minor injury unit in the country which then went on to become one of the first walk in centers and being the nurse consultant for the unit meant that i was clinically managerially and politically involved in this development And it proved to be one of the most challenging of all the changes I've brought about during my nursing career. So it wasn't quiet and it wasn't peaceful (laughs) and it wasn't still. (laughs) Um, I think during my 40 years of nursing, the profession moved from the rigid control of nurses, patients and nursing of their conditions Um, to an empowerment of nurses, recognisation of the patient as an individual person and more holistic care for the patient. And I took a very active part in those changes in my own small sphere with an ever-increasing knowledge of the bigger political picture as I moved up the career ladder. So was there anything in my career... That urged me on my journey to the forest. Three things I think. Firstly, shifts and workload prevented me from following up my first contact with the Buddhist Centre. Secondly, and most profoundly, I think, was the chaos of it all. And thirdly, holistic care. I finally got to the Manchester Buddhist Centre after couple of visits to the bookshop and shop, but I, I kind of arrived in a more meaningful way in October 2006 and my heart was immediately captured by the tranquility of, of this centre in the middle of the busy city and I intuitively I seemed to feel that I'd come home and I'm in the process of most, as like most of us here, of learning more and sharing our experiences of the Dharma And trust and confidence, I guess faith really, is growing in the teachings. And I've become a mitra since that time. I remember within a few weeks of arriving here, or coming here I should say, (laughs) I met two order members who for me exemplified the spiritual life. They both had a quietness and stillness and what appeared to be a contentedness that they showed through, through a happiness. And they also had a measured use of energy, which they used for good and useful purposes, which I felt was really healthy. And though I've met other Order members and people in the Sangha who, who also have those qualities, I think those two people, um, their aura stayed with me and I just felt that I would like to have some of that <laughs> um, secondly chaos which I think was probably my biggest motivator to follow this path of stillness simplicity, contentment, silence and solitude I ended my career as a senior sister in a large accident and emergency department within a city, and we like to think that we, um, you know, that we we actually um, had organised chaos there, because that's the very nature of an A and E department. It is, I hope, organised chaos. Sometimes it goes a bit pear shaped, but it, usually it's organised chaos. However, organising that chaos sure takes its toll on staff. And as a sister, you kind of had the job of coordinating this manic dance of, um, you know, major and minor accidents and emergency, patient flow through the department, admissions to to a hospital that had no beds many, many times. And you had the staff and the patients and their families all with their own fears and worries. And, of course, we were watched over by managers and political masters urging targets and punishing the department and the hospital if you didn't meet them. And in those circumstances, maintaining gentle, nurturing care to a patient is a challenge, which I'm very pleased to say, miraculously, most of the staff appeared to achieve. But over time, the pressure damages you in so many respects. When I retired, I know now, through the teachings, that I needed huge doses of self-matter, which I couldn't initially give myself, as I always identified me as the giver. And starting this path to the forest is, I suppose, a huge gift to myself. Finally, my knowledge of holistic care grew as I became more experienced in nursing. I'm sure many of us here know that health is more than now than just a, an absence of disease. Um, there's physical, psychological, social and spiritual aspects of ourselves that need to be recognised, attended to and nurtured. Being with a person during ill health heightens your mutual humanness. Becoming a reflexology practitioner and having interests in other complementary therapies introduced me to the notion of energy flow within the body and connectedness to the earth's energy. And marvelling at the few births that I'd witnessed and holding the hands of so many people that have died cannot help but make you more spiritually aware and interested in the answers to the big questions in life. During my ever-increasing life, (laughs) I have gathered many friends and recognised in them our interconnectedness as human beings. My garden and love of the countryside connects me to the earth. In silence, solitude, undisrupted by complexity... You can get deeper into exploring these matters, So how far have I got along this path? Well, I've certainly recognized my need. I know at this moment in life I will be prepared, I would be much prefer to be alone as much as possible. My movement along the path increased the pace about. Three years ago, I think, when I split from my partner of 10 years, I lived at my father's for about 12 months. And then about 18 months ago, um, I moved after buying a caravan on a farm halfway up Shap Fell outside Kendall and near the Lake District. And now I'm surrounded by the natural world. I watch the seasons and the weather come and go in their rhythm. And outside my lounge, there's a small little hillock and I can watch the sun rise higher and lower as the seasons pass. And the farming calendar comes and goes and this brings contentment that things are evolving as always. I now have much fewer possessions as my space has got Much smaller, but it's also much simpler. I can live the days there as I choose. My periods of retreat are still broken by regular contact with family and friends, and I'm still a social person. But I have longer periods to be silent, meditate, read and reflect. For the past year, I've been studying and reading lots about noise and its effect on our society. I have enjoyed studying silence, and like Sarah Maitland in her book of silence, I am clearer in what I would like to gain from silence. I want to understand silence better by living more in it. I want to enjoy the positive aspects of silence. Today... Silence seems such a negative thing, a thing to be filled up. I want to explore my own spirituality and try to connect using silence as a tool. I also want to explore my creativity using the freedoms that silence and solitude gives me. And I want the pure enjoyment of silence. I've also been doing a lot of reading around the contemplative life about monks and nunneries, monasteries, hermits and reclusives. Forest dwellers serve a purpose in our busy, noisy modern world. Their withdrawal from that world can cause questions to arise in others. Why do they seem to be rejecting what the rest of us in society hold dear? And from that from, and from that, much deeper questions may arise from which who can say what will happen? Much has been written about the purpose of withdrawal and it must be more than just the chance to sit, sniff the air of quiet serenity. Perhaps through exploring the Dharma for a time, in stillness and solitude, away from the distractions of the world, a forest, as a forest dweller, we come to understand those teachings more fully, and the recluse can answer more deeply the questions of us all around the necessity for a spiritual dimension to our lives i've also read um some of the works by Thomas Merton, who um, some of you may know was um was a Catholic monk um, in a Carthusian silent monastery, Um, and he hoped, I mean, that was in the 60s, he's actually died since, and I think he died, actually, um, as he became more interested in Buddhism, and he died in Japan, I think, I don't know if anybody knows where he died, but he died in Japan, uh, attending a Buddhist um, kind of meeting, but he hoped that contemplatives encountered freedom from the knowledge that we are no thing. Out of the unfixed self arises the knowledge of interconnectedness and love of other, of others, as we learn through Buddhist teachings and deep meditation. He talked about a life of charismatic freedom, how a person, free from certain routines of care and responsibilities and claims and demands that are considered less fruitful and somewhat deadening creates a space of being fully awake, alert, alive and sensitive to areas of experience which are not easily opened up in the midst of our worldly routines. Freedom to seek the truth and Buddhists, I think, would say to share that knowledge of the truth with others. I've just touched on a f- just a few um, purposes of the forest dwellers life that I've read about and in the future I hope to experience some of them and perhaps starting with my own solitary, solitary retreat in the mountains of Spain in a couple of weeks I thought I'd just end with a, a quote from Sangharachita which I fortuitously came across um, last night um, but I think he, it's lovely. He says, It is the pauses that make beautiful the music of our lives. It is the empty spaces that give richness and significance to them. And it is stillness that makes them truly useful. Thank you.